Well, good morning. So glad to be with you this morning. Hopefully you're feeling a little extra rested, maybe a, an extra pep in your step this morning. Um, uh, although for some of you with small kids, you're like, it was the worst thing ever. My kids do not understand daylight savings time at all. Uh, wherever you find, might find yourself this morning, we're glad that you're here. Our lead pastor, Paul, he is away for the weekend, and so it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you. My name is Scott, one of the pastors here. And uh, for those of you who are guests with us, we've been making our way through the book of Matthew, a series that we've entitled King and Kingdom. And we find ourselves this morning in Matthew chapter 12. So go ahead and, go ahead and turn there with me if you'd like. And as you turn in there, uh, I, I remember uh, this story like it was yesterday. This particular day in history, it was January 1st, 2001, and Julia, by the way, didn't she do a great job with those announcements? Yeah. <laughs> Julia and I were in Jacksonville, Florida. We were at my parents' house. Uh, it was between, uh, you know, semesters, we were over Christmas break, and uh, we were, at the time, had been together for about five months or so. We'd gone out on numerous dates. We'd had countless conversations in person, on the phone, and you guessed it, even letter writing. Um, we'd certainly had a lot of fun together. We'd even talked about what might be next, but there was one thing that we hadn't yet done. We hadn't said those three important words. And for any of you who are in a, for any of you who are in a relationship, you know what those words are. Uh, they were certainly words that we had thought. We'd certainly displayed them through our actions, but we'd not yet othered them. Uh, these words were, of course, super important. They were potentially life-altering. They were relationship-defining. They were a big deal. But on that night, New Year's Day 2001, we told each other for the first time what? I love you. Isn't that sweet? Yes. And ever since then, we've uttered those words thousands and thousands of times. Uh, and they were, they were and still are to this day very important words. You see, words matter. They are powerful uh, they're significant, they're valuable, aren't they? And the reality is, ever since the very beginning of time, words have drastically impacted us and the world that we live in. The Bible begins with the first words ever recorded in human history. God said, what? Let there be light. And then over the course of the next six days, God spoke many words and brought about all of creation into being. Words were life-giving. They were powerful. And later when Adam, who was made in God's image, when he saw his bride for the very first time, poetry, words came out of his mouth, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then later, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in Genesis 3, it records that Adam was actually the one who named his wife Eve, uh, the mother of all living. And those words, that name, carried through with her the rest of her life. You see, words are powerful. They bring life. They bring blessing. In fact, the timeline of history is filled with what? Words. You can probably imagine um, what these words represent, right? So four score and seven years ago. Or I have a dream. Or Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. These are encouraging words. These are powerful words. These are inspiring words. Sometimes these are even revolutionary words. Words matter. They have power bring life. At the same time, ever since the garden, the serpent's words, did God really say, 
We also know that words have a different sort of power. They can bring death and destruction as well. And immediately after, Adam and Eve lifts into those powerful manipulative words from the serpent. And they ate the fruit. What did they do? They spoke words. But instead of encouraging life-giving words, there was no poetry from Adam. There was words of blame and pride and anger and self-justification from both Adam and Eve. And that sin nature still lives inside of us to this day. In fact, we've always seen this battle of words, both within us and outside of us, this, these words of the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Uh, Jesus is, in essence, in a prolonged battle of words with the Pharisees. Uh, they have accused Jesus of defiling the Sabbath day. And Jesus responds with words. He confronts them. He says, you guys don't understand the purpose of the Sabbath. It's to give rest, but you have heaped burdens upon the people through your legalistic activity. And he not only wants to tell them about the Sabbath day, but even more so, he invites them to rest in him, to put down your own words and your works, and instead to trust in him, to trust in his grace. Last week, what do we do? We, we saw another interaction with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And in response, what do the Pharisees do? They once again accuse him. This time they tell him that he's casting out this demon with the power of Satan. And Jesus, once again, he confronts these Pharisees with words, strong words. He says, guys, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has demonstrated that I am the Son of God, and you are speaking out against the Holy Spirit, and you will not be forgiven for that sin when you continue on in that way. And so it's in that context that we find ourselves this morning with more words. Uh, Jesus is continuing on this interaction with the Pharisees, and he speaks words not only to the Pharisees and not only to the crowd, but to us here this morning. And so why don't we stand in honor of God's word, as we look at Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Listen to Jesus' words. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Oh God, we just come to you this morning, and we just confess to you that there's a lot of words. There's a lot of words of confusion, of chaos. There's a lot of opinions, a lot of hurtful words, a lot of strong words. But we pray this morning that in the midst of all of that chaos that we are hearing, that we would most importantly listen to your word. That we would receive your word this morning and that as we receive your word, it would transform us. That we would respond to your word in faith and obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take your seats and as you do, today's sermon is entitled, The Power of Words. The power of words, and we've got three points as we walk through this short paragraph together. First, we're going to look at the fact that words reveal our nature. And then second, 
words reveal our heart. And then last but not least, words reveal our destiny. So words reveal our nature, our heart, and our destiny. First, words reveal our nature. Uh, Jesus begins in verse 33 with a parable. Uh, And this parable is actually pretty common to Jesus. He's used it elsewhere. And uh, let's go ahead and read it. So he says, verse 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Back in Matthew 7, Jesus uses the same parable when he says these words. He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And both of these times, he's using this analogy in response to the false leaders, the false teachers. And uh, he goes on in that paragraph, and he says, thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So it's a very simple parable. Basically, you have a good tree, you have good fruit, you have a bad tree, you're going to have bad fruit. The quality of the fruit is a reflection of the quality of the tree. Why does Jesus use this parable uh, right here in the midst of this interaction with the Pharisees? Well, in essence, if you remember, Jesus has already spoken really good words, and he's done really good deeds. And uh, he's demonstrated by his good fruit something about his nature, that he is good. But the Pharisees, they accuse him of being a bad tree, of having a nature like Satan. And so you've done these, wor- these works and you've spoken these words by the power of Satan. But Jesus says, guys, <laughs> look at my fruit. Look at my good words. Look at my good deeds. I am a good tree. My nature is good, and that's why I produce good fruit. It's the only way it happens. You see it in nature all the time. You've got an orange tree, it produces orange fruit. You've got an apple tree, it produces apple fruit. You've got a good tree, it produces good fruit. You've got a bad tree, it's going to produce bad fruit. Jesus says, look at me. Look at my fruit. We'll go on in verse 33, though, it also, Jesus says this word, it might be a little confusing. He says, either make the tree good or make the tree bad. Now, Jesus is not telling them to manufacture or make a tree, to create a tree. The verb here, make, it also means to think about or to consider or to ponder. So Jesus, in essence, he's saying, either consider me and what I do as good or consider me and what I do as bad. If you see good fruit, then make the tree good in your minds. In other words, make me good in your minds. Make up your minds about my nature. And he's not just speaking, of course, to the Pharisees. He's speaking about all those who are listening. And ultimately, Jesus is revealing, he's like, I'm not just a good tree, though. I am the very embodiment of goodness. I have a divine nature. My words reveal that my nature is perfectly and completely good. And then Jesus flips the parable around. And then he addresses the Pharisees in verse 34. He says this, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? In other words, Jesus says, Your words reveal your nature too. And he calls them a brood of vipers. A viper, of course, is a poisonous snake. It was very common in the desert in that area. And uh, what was interesting, though, about vipers is that their color often would hide their true nature. So sometimes they looked like dead branches. Uh, Sometimes they looked just like the soil. Sometimes they would blend in with the rocks or the trees. 
uh, and they would often hide until a person or an animal would get near to them, and then they would, boom, they would reveal their true colors, and they would sink their teeth, of course, into their prey, pumping them in with poison, and a lot of times their prey would die. And Jesus, in essence, he says, guys, you are a dangerous, deadly group of deceivers. You see, words were their currency. It's what they traded in. They were teachers. They were orators. And so uh, they tried to use their words to manipulate, to deceive the crowds, and ultimately to discredit Jesus. They tried to present themselves as good, even though they were evil. And Jesus says, just like my words and my deeds reveal my true nature, so your words and your deeds reveal your true nature as well. You can't pretend Guys, you say one good thing, but you live another. You talk a good game, but inside your nature is evil. You can't staple on good fruit onto a bad tree. Leon Morris, in commenting on this passage, he says, The pious professions of those who oppose Jesus could not hide the fruit in their lives, the fruit of hatred, intolerance, injustice, and the like. Jesus had identified for them this gap between public and private. And because of that, he said, guys, you are in deep, deep trouble. And ultimately, he calls them a brood of vipers, not just because of, you know, being poisonous, but ultimately, he's hinting at their true nature, that they are like the ultimate deceiver, Satan himself, who came in the form of a serpent and led Adam and Eve astray and has sought to do that ever since. And by the way, these are So we notice these are strong words of Jesus. Normally we don't find Jesus speaking that way. Um, Usually he's very tenderhearted and gentle and kind and compassionate, particularly with outsiders, with doubters, with strugglers. Remember just a few weeks ago we looked at um, his fulfillment of Isaiah 42, where it says that he would not break a bruised reed, he wouldn't quench a smoldering wick. See, when Jesus sees people like that, he's so patient. He's so kind. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is not as patient with people who are committed to a life of religious hypocrisy, who say one thing and do another. Brokenness, frailty, weakness, even rebellion seem to be no obstacle to Jesus' abundant mercy, but hypocrisy, self-righteousness, pretense, oh man, that gets Jesus pumped up. It grieves his heart to see people living in that way. And that's why he responds strongly with these words to the Pharisees. Jesus, in essence, he says, guys, you may look good on the outside, but your fruit, your words will ultimately reveal your true nature. Stop trying to hide who you truly are. Put down the mask. Lay it down. Show yourself for who you truly are, just like I have revealed myself to be. This is an important lesson as we're assessing leaders. You're assessing me and other elders as well. Pay attention to our words. Not just our words, but pay attention to our tone. Do we speak with gentleness and kindness, with humility and patience? Do we encourage and affirm? Do we offer words of grace? You know, leaders may be able to put up a front for a little while, but ultimately they will always be true to their inner nature. And so we are called, just like the crowd here, to assess the nature of the Pharisees, and, of course, the nature of Jesus. 
But we might be tempted to say something like this. Well, Jesus, yeah, you go get him. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like one of those Pharisees. But before we get too far, there's also a warning and an invitation from Jesus in this passage for us as well. Jesus wants us to, to take a step back and he wants us to ask what fruit is coming out of our lives. What do our words reveal about our nature? You know, we're probably not calling ourselves, and Jesus is not calling us a brood of vipers per se, but as we've seen throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus is always inviting us to examine ourselves and then to turn to him and ask him for help. As we've learned throughout the book of Matthew, he is after wholeheartedness, where our inner matches our outer. That is a life of flourishing. That brings us to point number two. Words don't reveal our nature, but they also reveal our heart. Look back at verse 34 again. He says, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus says our words are not just a reflection of our nature, they're also a reflection and an overflow of our hearts. So when we hear the word heart, especially in our modern culture, you might think of more like feelings and emotions. Um, So we'll say things like, follow your heart. You know, don't listen to your head. Or maybe the opposite, think rationally here. Uh, Stop trusting your feelings so much. But the Bible actually describes the heart in a much fuller way than just our emotions or even our thoughts. Um, The heart, as we see through Scripture, is seen as the center of life. It captures our character, our will, our personality, our mind, our emotions. All of these are captured in the scriptural idea of heart. In fact, there's over 750 references to the heart. I'm just give you a, a sampling. The heart conceals, discerns, instructs, meditates, muses, perceives, plans, plots, ponders, thinks, weighs, aches, cherishes, desires, despairs, despises, grieves, hates, laments, loves, lusts, rages, resents, sinks, and trembles, and on and on and on. And the reality is our hearts are a lot of times oozing all of these things at the same time. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, our hearts are always like a water hose, are always oozing out all kinds of different stuff. And that's why I think Jesus picks up on this idea when he says it's out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. As if our our heart is just kind of jammed full of all kinds of stuff, and then the mouth is sort of that overflow valve. When we open up our mouths, it reveals what's within our hearts, sort of what is in our reservoir. Um, I shared this story first service, and I realized that I hadn't told my wife about it. And Julia came up to me after the service. She's like, oh, so I hear that this happened. I'll tell you what happened. So um, last week, she was out of town, and uh, I had some things on my honey list that I was trying to knock out, one of them being to fix the toilet. And this has been a maddening uh, experience for me. It seems simple. It always seems simple when you do honeydew projects, but it doesn't always that simple. So anyway, in this case, I turn off the water, um, the supply valve, and then um, I unhooked the, the little hose that goes into the toilet, empty the toilet, you know, toilet, whatever you call that thing, the thing that holds the water. And then I go, and you can see I'm very skilled at this. And so I go in, and then I fix the part within the toilet, and, um, and then I turn back on the water. See, I left out a step. 
that plugging in the hose. And so water just starts shooting everywhere, all over the walls. It gets in my mouth, and I'm like trying to hold on to the water, like the hose. And I'm realizing, like, why am I trying to hold on the hose? Turn off the water, idiot. So eventually I turn off the water, and then just water's everywhere. Thankfully, my kids weren't seeing there. They, they, would have, they would have made fun of me quite a bit. And then, like I said, I forgot to tell Julia about this. And she's like, oh, I hear what happened uh, while I was away. Uh, well, our mouths are like that. As soon as we open the valve, we spew out whatever is in our hearts. When we say something hurtful, we tend to say something like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really mean that. Or I was just under a lot of pressure or stress. And all those things may be true, but it doesn't change the fact that when we speak, our words reveal what is within us. Those circumstances around us may have driven those things out of us, but it was in our hearts in the first place. It's always been there. See, our words originate in our hearts. Uh, We've got some amazing people in our church who have some amazing accents. Uh, We've got British accents, we've got South African accents, we've got Indian accents, and then we've got your really slow drawl accents. I moved, I, was, I moved to Birmingham, by the way, and I met these guys, the Schattinger twins. They were some of my fraternity brothers. I couldn't understand a word they said. I thought they were speaking a totally different language. Well, anyway, your accent, when you open up your mouth, it reveals where you're from. And in the same way, all of our words have an origin. Jesus says we need to trace our words back to where they come from. We need to trace them back to our hearts. So when we cuss someone out or we belittle them, it reveals that there's some deep anger and aggression within us. Or when we gossip or we slander, it reveals a deep insecurity within us. Or when we lie, it reveals a heart that wants to hide the truth about ourselves and about others. Or when we speak, You know, we really try to expose others, but the reality is, more than anything, we are fundamentally exposing ourselves. See, Proverbs 12, 18, it says that our words can be like sword thrusts. They can cut deeply. And I think the reason why words cut us so deeply is because we know where they're from. They're not just words. They come from our hearts. See, our words are like poison, the Bible says. They can denigrate, they can tear down, they can destroy because they're not just words. They're oozing forth from the very very deep recesses of our hearts sometimes. But at the same time, Proverbs 12, 18 also gives us this other opportunity. It says our words can also be like healing medicine. Our words can encourage, they can bless, they can praise, they can affirm, they can teach, they can build up, they can strengthen I mean, just last week, we were on this stage uh, for pastor appreciation. And uh, just think about what that represented, which was your words of affirmation towards us, your words of encouragement to us. They were so life-giving. I know I speak on behalf of all the pastors and just saying we're so grateful to be here, that you have built us up with words. They've been life-giving. And so Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The basic question for you and for me is, what is coming out of our mouths? And ultimately, what do they reveal about our hearts? Jesus goes on, verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. 
That word treasure, it can also be translated storehouse or chamber or box. It's where ultimately treasures are stored. So when Jesus says that every person's heart is a storehouse or a treasury, what he's saying is our hearts are holding what is most valuable to us. And what is valuable to us is going to spill out of us. Tyler David says this, he says, your words aren't just words, they are windows into what you treasure most. In other words, if you have a word problem, you don't just have a heart problem, you ultimately have a worship problem. So if your words spoken, written, unwritten, just thought, if they were to be audited, what would they reveal? What treasure would they reveal that you are holding on to most in your life? What is most valuable to you? Because I'm asking you these questions because it's really important that we examine our words because they are an x-ray into our hearts. They reveal what's really going on. Like the dashboard of your car, uh, Jesus, in essence, he's inviting you and me to pay attention to the dashboard of our soul. Now, some of us, if you're like me, you ignore the dashboard sometimes. You're like, oh, it'll fix itself. It'll be fine. Uh, and then I've run out of gas on a few occasions because of that. Guys, Jesus wants us to pay attention. He wants us to note the warning signs. What's popping up? You know, for me, uh, some danger signs. One is silence. I can, I can get really quiet. Um, my heart is not right, my, my words dry up, my, I withhold affection, and I just get kind of all into my head, and I'm quiet. I can also be quick to blame, or quick to grumble, or complain, because uh, I have critical words, and have a critical tone, and my kids, they know these eyebrows, they get really like this, <laughs> they know to kind of stay away. You know what the danger signs are for you, maybe you have a tendency to lash out, or Maybe you're too quick to speak rather than to listen. Maybe your sarcasm or your cynicism is getting up on a really high level. I don't know what it might be for you, but God says to pay attention. Don't ignore the warning signs. And along with the self-assessment, and this is going to take some guts, but I would also encourage you to ask for someone else who knows you well and who will speak honestly with you to tell you what they observe. Ask them, you know, what do my words reveal? What does my tone reveal? Do my words reveal a heart of fear and anxiety and anger and control and uncertainty and bitterness and distractedness and grumpiness? Or do my words reveal a heart of love and tenderness and kindness and gentleness and patience? I encourage you, don't just do that once. Let it be a consistent part of your assessment. And the takeaway shouldn't just be I need to watch my words. No, the takeaway should be I need to watch my heart. Guys, I want to encourage you. One other thing to pay close attention to is to your self-talk. And this is something that was pointed out to me by a mentor of mine, uh, Alan Fadling, who's actually going to be our men's retreat speaker. You can mark your calendars the last weekend in April. Uh, Alan, he's written several books and um, had the opportunity to be a part of a small group, a discipleship group. Uh, to kind of talk through some, some ministry dynamics and just most importantly, my heart. And he said to me one time, he said, Scott, I want you to not only pay attention to the words that you say, but I also want you to pay attention to the tone that you speak them in. 
to yourself, not just towards others. So it sounds like you're pretty harsh and impatient with yourself. Scott, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's from your flesh. Be gentle with yourself. Be patient with yourself. And I found that to be the case, that when I'm harsh or critical with myself, usually just because my heart is not treasuring Christ. My heart's not listening to him. My heart's not paying attention to the truth of the gospel. So I just encourage you, take some time, do the assessment, see what's going on. And once we do the assessment, though, you might be saying, well, what next? What do I do with that? Well, not only do we, do, we need to do an assessment, but we also need to repent. If we find ourselves, our hearts really struggling, then we need to change, right? Now, some of you might be here this morning, you may be saying something like, well, there's no way I can change. My, my heart just always leads me to bad thoughts and bad motives and bad desires and bad decisions. I try to get my life right and clean myself up, but it just doesn't work. My friend, before you change your behavior, Christ must change your heart. In essence, you need a heart transplant. So changing the behavior without changing the heart will not really lead to a changed life. In fact, it will only lead you to frustration and exhaustion. So if you find yourself this morning and you've never really trusted in Christ, then the first step is to look up. Our tendency is to look down at our sin, look down at our trouble, look down at our failures, look down at our struggles, and try to fix ourselves up. But God says, look up to me. Look up to my glory. Look up to my character. I love this quote from Robert Murray McShane. He says this. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace in all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. This is where the gospel is amazing. When we look up to Christ, he changes us from the inside out. John 7, listen to Jesus' invitation if you find yourself in that place this morning. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, if you are thirsty, if you are struggling, do you want a new heart? Jesus says, look to me. Turn your heart over to me. Come to me and I will change you. I'll give you new desires. Ezekiel 11 says this, I will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. If you find yourself this morning in that place where your heart is really revealing where your heart truly is, that it's away from Christ, look up to him. But this invitation is not just to unbelievers, it's to believers as well. Because as we, as we kind of meditate, I'm sure, on our hearts, as we think about our hearts this morning, we're recognizing, goodness, I still struggle a lot. I was actually meditating on a, a psalm this morning, Psalm 86. Um, and uh, as I was, I was kind of struck by David. So David's struggling. He's, he's in a place of, of feeling overwhelmed and burdened. He's, ugh, he has a tendency to look down 
at his circumstances and even to look down within at his own heart. But listen to this prayer. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Unite my heart to fear your name. Then I will give thanks to you with my whole heart. Do you see how his heart changed? It wasn't by trying harder and doing better. It was looking up. It was seeing Christ. It was seeing his grace, his forgiveness, his, uh, his abounding and steadfast love towards all those who look to him. So both believers and unbelievers alike, the first step is the same. Look up to Christ. Lift up your hearts to him. But then second, don't only look up to him, but then also fill up your hearts with his word. Remember earlier we said that our hearts are like a reservoir. They're storehouses. And so the way that we repent is not only looking up to Christ, but then also filling up his words in our hearts. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That word think is not just kind of a cursory glance. It means to consider. It means to appropriate. It means to meditate. And so God is saying, I want you to focus on me. When we think about all these characteristics and attributes, these aren't just kind of some ambiguous characteristics or attributes. These ultimately are found in Christ. And they're found in his word. So we're to think deeply and apply personally God's word to our hearts. And not just periodically, but, but daily. The reality is our hearts can be so easily swayed. They can be distracted. They can be discouraged. They can be disillusioned. And we must reorient our hearts with the truth of God's word each day. Listen. Pay attention to the words of Jesus. Uh, in England, in the 1600s, there was a Puritan writer named John Flavel. And he compared our hearts to a musical instrument. So if any of you have played in a musical instrument, you know that alongside of playing, you also have to constantly tune it. It's constantly going out of tune. You've got it just right, and then you put it up on the wall, and then boom, it gets out of tune again. Or sometimes you just even bump into something, and then it goes out of tune. And John Flavel, he said, our hearts are like that. So they can be right with God, and then just like that, something disrupts them. Uh, something distracts them, or we begin to neglect them, and then our hearts begin to stray. And the way we retune our hearts is we fill them up with God's Word. Our hearts are just so easily, they go out of tune all the time. We've got all these constant words and noise that are speaking to us. And God says, let my Word, let my promises, let my commands, let my character be the thing around which you tune your heart. Let it be that tuning fork. Let sure, steady, true, dependable um, thing around which you tune your hearts the way that God intends. As you've heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out, and it's so true. What we put into our hearts will come out of our mouths. So if you're in that place and you're finding that a lot of uck, yuck is coming out, well, first look up. And then pour out the yuck and then fill up your hearts with God's truth. Store up what is good and good will come out. 
The way that we are words change is that we must listen to the word. Let the words of Jesus wash over you. Let the words of Jesus cleanse you. Let the words of Jesus change you. Let the words of Jesus transform you more and more into his likeness. So that you can be like him. You can be a good tree. You can sink your roots deeply into his life-giving, soul-nourishing word that speaks the best word over you. All right, number three, very quickly. Words not only reveal our nature and our heart, they also reveal our destiny. Verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is an ominous warning if we don't apply it correctly. Jesus says that all of our words are being recorded. Revelation 20 says this, that um, people will be judged by what is written in the books according to what they have done. Now, if we just stop there, we're in big trouble. Jesus goes on, he says, by your words, you will be condemned. This warning is for those who don't trust in Christ. See, their words will display that they haven't trusted in Jesus, and thereby they will be judged. They will be condemned. But in that same passage in Revelation 20, there's this other book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And it says that all of those whose names are written in that book will be welcomed into eternity with Jesus. Now, how do we reconcile what Jesus says here with what says there? It says that by your words, you will be justified. Does that mean that we will be declared righteous based on our perfect words? We know from other places in Scripture that's not the case. We're not justified by our good words in the sense that we earn salvation. No one is accepted. No one is forgiven. No one is justified based on how much good we've said or done. We know it's only through our faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified, that we are declared righteous. But that's not the way that Jesus is using this word justification here. He's saying that your words will be proof. They will be evidence. They will be fruit of whether you are abiding in the vine, whether he really is the one who you've tr- you're trusting in, who you're relying upon. And when you're sinking your roots deeply into Christ, he begins to change you from the inside out so that more and more your words display your faith in him, more and more your Deeds reflect who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. So that when you stand before Jesus, he says, you've been justified. Now where there's a tension that's here, right? Because we know that we aren't perfect in our words. And so what do we do when we're struggling? What do we do when our, our hearts are revealing the fact that we still aren't perfect like Jesus is? What do we do? We look up. We ask Jesus to forgive us. We ask Jesus to cleanse us. And we ask Jesus, most importantly, to remind us of the cross. The cross that speaks the lasting word, the most important word, the word that is life-giving, the word that is relationship-defining. And that word is, I love you. 
Let that be the word that just sinks deeply into your soul this morning. That where you fail, Jesus doesn't fail. Where you lash out, Jesus speaks kindly. Where you lie, Jesus says, I'm the truth. Let my truth be spoken over you again. You are my beloved. You are my son. You are my daughter. Let those words be the ones that carry us not only through this life, but on into eternity where, get this, those words will not be spoken just into our hearts. They will be spoken to us face to face when Jesus welcomes us in and says, I love you. Enter into my joy forever and ever and ever. May those words be the words that we listen to more than any other word that we hear. Let's pray.